if God is good, and if he loves me, then why does he allow bad things to happen to me? How many of you have asked that question before? Half of you say you have, and the other half are lying. You know, I love the book of Psalms, because the book of Psalms teaches us that we can ask those kinds of questions. They don't shake God. They, 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 they don't offend God. And we can ask them not just in the recesses of our hearts where we all ask them. But we can ask them with words that, that God's given us. And the Psalms, you know, they contain not only prayers of uh, praise, but prayers of lament, of Plaint of protest. We read one of them this morning in our responsive reading. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And you recognize that that's not a request for information, right? That's a, that's a complaint. How long, Lord, will you look on? In other words, here I am suffering, rescue me from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. Here I am suffering, and you're looking the other way. How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. Uh, Lord, we recognize that we've not been perfect, but we try to follow you, but there are people who don't, and yet blessing comes to them hardship to us and it's okay with God that we ask such questions God why would you allow this to happen to me if you love me if you're sovereign if you're good if you're powerful I don't understand I don't understand and of course there's no answer to questions like that, right? Or, or is there? What if I told you that there is an answer? Now, I, I want to warn you that if, you're, that if you're in the midst of suffering today, and some of you joining us via live stream I know are in the midst of suffering, you won't like the answer perhaps, won't find it very satisfying. You might not find it satisfying, even if you're not suffering at the moment. You might go away saying, that's the worst message I've ever heard. But maybe in the middle of next week or next month or next year, the truth of what I'm going to tell you today may take hold of you and bring you comfort and hope as it's brought me comfort and hope. I want to read to you today from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 21. I'm going to read that to get context. We're only going to look at a few of the verses uh, in this passage here. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light in him. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let's also go so that we may die with him. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Martha stayed at home, or Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Father, as we consider your word today, um, for those today who are suffering, and uh, Father, for all your people, because none of us will get out of here escaping suffering. Lord, show us your grace and your love through it. By Jesus and through him. Amen. Lazarus was dead. And by the time Jesus had gotten there, we're told he'd been dead for four days. Could have been different. Couldn't it have been? You know, whenever calamity strikes, whenever disaster strikes, whenever suffering comes... We turn it over and over in our minds. It could have been different. If only, if only this had been different. If only I had it. If only that had been different. If only. And when Jesus comes back, it's the first thing that Martha can think of. If only. Because they had done all they could. But it wasn't enough. Lazarus was really sick. And so they sent people to go find Jesus because they knew he could do something. If only he hadn't left the region. Where was he? And she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That was undoubtedly true. Jesus had healed others. And Peter's mother-in-law lying on what seemed to be her deathbed was brought back to health. A 
Jesus had just healed a man who was blind from birth. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we say it too. If only it had been different. If only circumstances were different. Lord, if only this had been different. Lord, if only you'd heard my prayers. We ask questions like that, I think, because we assume it would require only one simple, disconnected, abstracted change to make everything different than it is. If Jesus had come as soon as they called for him, would it have made a difference? Well, it depends on exactly where Jesus was. We're not told exactly. We're told that he'd gone to the place where John had been baptizing. That was about 20 or 30 miles away. It was about a day's journey. That would have made travel time to get there a day. It would have made travel time to get back a day. And we're told that Jesus lingered for two days, which would have been a total of four days. And by time they got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. It seems that Lazarus died right after the party was sent out to go look for Jesus. But Martha's complaint and her sister's wasn't if you had come right away, it's if you had been here. If you had been here. And that's an implicit, why? why? Why were you not here? And behind that implicit why of Martha's lies a, lies a, a whole host of unthought of, unrealized connections. Why weren't you here? Well, because the Pharisees were seeking his life, and so he'd left the city. Well, why were the Pharisees seeking his life? Well, because of an orthodoxy on steroids in response to Rome coming and taking over Jerusalem. Well, why were there Pharisees in the first place? Well, that's because of the unfaithfulness of the Hasmonean dynasty. Well, why was there a Hasmonean dynasty? Well, that was because of the Maccabean revolt. Well, why was there a Maccabean revolt? Well, that was because Antiochus had desecrated the temple. You want me to keep going? And eventually, we get all the way back to why did they disobey God in the garden? That's where it goes all the way back to. See, events are not disconnected. When, when tragedy strikes, we, we like to think, oh, if, if only this one thing had been different, then everything would be different. But it really doesn't work that way, does it? When we face soul-crushing tragedy that comes out of nowhere, like these sisters did, their brother was sick, but didn't seem to have been an, an old man. They didn't expect him to die. We understandably ask, why? And, and the why of what they're facing, and the why of the things that you face, God answers by sending Jesus. 
Uh, allow me to jump to the end of the story, and I don't mean the end of the story of Lazarus nor the end of the Gospel of John, but I mean to the end of the whole story here. God answered by sending Jesus. And when tragedy strikes, and people ask that question, why? Please don't try to answer that. They're not really asking you for information as though you could give them some reason why, and then they would say, oh, well, then that's all fine. That why is a pleading. It means fix it. Fix it. It's gone wrong. Fix it. And the end of the story tells us that Jesus came to fix it. Finally, fully, wholly, irreversibly to fix it. But before he does that, he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's what Isaiah calls him. It's a strange name, you know, when you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus, he doesn't seem like a dour person to me. Doesn't walk around with a long face, looking like he's miserable, complaining all the time. In chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 33, we're told that when, when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. See, see, Jesus is a man of sorrows because he shares our sorrows. He shares your sorrow. That, that word to weep means to cry out due to grief, due to mourning, due to loss. In Luke 19, the only other place that we're told that Jesus wept, he wept over the city of Jerusalem because they wouldn't accept the peace that he'd come to bring. He wept. He's the man of sorrows because he takes on our sorrow, takes on your sorrow. And he's the suffering servant of Isaiah because he takes on our suffering. Here's the really remarkable thing. It's we're united to him then in faith. Our suffering becomes his so that we become partakers of his suffering. And Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we also share in comfort that abounds through Christ. To the Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. The Apostle Peter writes, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And it's that glory that Paul is speaking of when he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed in us. 
He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but he won't be a man of sorrows forever because his people will not be a people of sorrows forever. Because Jesus has come to fix it. Now in the immediate future, I don't think I'm spoiling the story for anyone. You all know the story of Lazarus, but in the immediate future, he'll fix it for the time being. Because Lazarus, the day will come when Lazarus will die again. But in what he'll do on the cross, he'll fix it for all time and forever. In the meantime, I want to draw your attention to a little word in our text this morning. Well, it's actually not in our text. It's in the the Greek text and our English translations uh, largely miss it. Uh, some of them, I think, just translate it incorrectly. My translation does. Some of them translate it weakly. I remember my friend uh, Stu Jones uh, from Presbytery would often say that you know sometimes our Bible translations, because things are difficult in the original language, try to help us, but sometimes they help us miss the point. And uh, and here, our translation, I'm afraid, has helped us to miss the point. It's it's, it's a remarkable little word. It's the word therefore. And I want to consider with you today what the therefore is there for. Now, now I've got to warn you that what I'm going to tell you, you will not like at first. My hope and prayer is that over the next few days or the next few weeks or the next few months, it will become a, a source of comfort to you. In, in whatever you are suffering or, or will suffer. And it's in verses uh, 3 and 6. We're told that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two days. That's what my translation says. And so you get the idea that Jesus loved them, but, but, here's the exception, but he stayed for two days. Your translation might say so, he stayed kind of weak. The the Greek text says very startling and plainly, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was for two more days. Therefore, for that reason, Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. Could could he have gotten there in time to heal Lazarus if he had left right then? Probably not. I don't think so. He would have found that he'd been dead for two days rather than for four days. Or maybe he would have arrived right after he died. You know, it's interesting, though, in the rabbinic tradition of the day, at least among some of the rabbis, there was hope for people right after they died that they might revive. There was a rabbinic tradition that said that said for two days, the spirit, the, the, the life of the person stays in the vicinity and, and, and may come back. The person may come back. But after three days, they're irretrievably gone, and by the fourth day, corruption begins to set in. 
Jesus lingered where he was. Not despite the fact that he loved them. Jesus lingered because he loved them. And so Lazarus would die. But let me say it again. Lazarus would die one day at any rate. The day was coming when Lazarus would die. And and even after what will happen, as this account comes to an end, the, the day will come again when Lazarus will die. But when that day comes, it's a day that's not recorded in Scripture, when that day comes, the people who love Lazarus will have hope because on this day, Jesus lingered. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God so that God's son may be glorified in him. And through this glory will come to them astonishment, will come rejoicing, and will come an increasing and deepening faith. And through this glory will come hope that nothing, that no bad that comes into their lives will or can have the last word. And here's the hard thing I want to share with you. I know it will be hard to hear, particularly if you're facing a painful heartache now. The painful things that have come into your life, the painful things that do come into your life, are not there, dear Christian, despite the fact that God loves you. They are there because God loves you. Now, how does that work? I don't know. Just like Mary and Martha didn't know and couldn't fathom from what Jesus was going to do until he did it. You know, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul speaks a great deal about our suffering. And it is specifically of our suffering that he says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purposes. Paul is not there talking about an unqualified all things. He's got a very specific all things in mind. It's all the things that we suffer. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. And in them and through them and by them, God is doing something that will display his glory and your ultimate good. God's love is the cause behind what you suffer and what I suffer. How does that work out? I I don't know. But I think that J.R.R. Tolkien had a keen sense and insight into it when he wrote... uh, at the uh, end of the book, The Return of the King, the last of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, when after the battle, Sam Gamgee says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? 
And I can't explain to you how, but everything that you suffer, dear child of God, is driving toward a purpose. And it is the same purpose for which Jesus came. And that purpose is that somehow, some way, everything that is bad is going to come untrue. What comes into your life and my life doesn't come with a despite. It comes with a therefore. It's not that, please don't misunderstand me, it's not that bad is not really bad, that evil is not really evil, that sin is not really sin, that death is not really death. I'm not saying that, nor do I think is the scriptures. Those are things to weep over. They're things that Jesus weeps over. But those hard things don't come into your life despite the fact that God loves you. They come into your life because God loves you. Will you trust him until you can see how? Would you pray with me? Father, what a a strange and wonderful and unexpected, unsettling statement. That Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And, and Lord, though we can't see, certainly these sisters could not see until they came out the other side of it, uh, how that could possibly be so. Lord, help us to trust you that, that in those hard and painful things that come into our lives, the things that cause us suffering, Give us assurance that those things have not come despite the fact that you love us. But because you love us, therefore, and, and help us to trust you until we see the how of all of the bad things coming untrue. And Father, truly, that will be for your glory, that your Son may be glorified through it. Amen.